This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the podcast. Glenn Beck has COVID. Yes, his second bout with COVID now. I just, you know, at this point, I, I, I just seem, he just seems to like having it. I don't know. Uh, it's the Omicron wave and everyone's getting it all over again. Glenn has COVID. He is here today, however. A little scratchy voice. He's pushing through it. It's not as bad as it was back in 2020. So that's, we're, we're thankful for that. He um, will bring us up to date on January 6th. Uh, talk about a New York Times hit piece on him and some others uh, trying to paint him as an insurrectionist. We have um, some of the details of one particular story involved in the riots uh, at the Capitol. We don't have answers to someone who uh, is really a kind of a suspicious, strange story. We'll get into that. We also have uh, Representative Rodney Davis on trying to find out answers as to what Nancy Pelosi was doing on January 6th. Why can't we get information from Nancy Pelosi about some basic questions about January 6th? And we get into the Donald Trump interview Glenn did that aired last night. You can get that at blazetv.com slash Glenn. We'll play some of it for you today. Really interesting stuff from the former president and kind of a hint as to whether he's going to be running or not. Um, that's all coming up on today's podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast right now. We'd love for you to do that. Rate and review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Same goes for Stu Does America, my show, airing uh, five times a week. And you can get the podcast here five times a week as well. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. to the Glenn Beck program. Let me go to Eric in Indiana. Hello, Eric. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Big fan, long-time supporter. Thank you. Hey, I hope you, you feel you better soon. It, you, thank you. Hmm. Is he, is I don't he there? know. Did it does not seem Eric? to be one of you talking. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, it's your yeah, turn to talk okay. here. I just didn't want to talk over you. Yeah, I listened to the interview oh. last night, Glenn, and I just yeah. thought it was fantastic. And it's it's the first time since Independence Day 2012 where I felt truly hopeful for uh, returning to constitutional values. Um, I, I just thought that last night was about the future. It was about unifying. And like you said, where they're just constantly trying to divide us. I mean, members of my own, own family... I'm vaccinated, but my my daughters aren't. They won't meet with my daughters. Like I, and so like we're divided, and like no doctor told them to do that or anything. You know, literally the president did. And so I mm. just think that Trump's interview last night was so unifying and so so inspirational that I'm I'm fully on board now. And like during the um, 2016 primaries um, here in Indianapolis, I went to the Ted Cruz convention where he announced uh, Carly Fiorina as uh, mm-hmm. as his running mate, you know, and, you right. know, Trump had said things like horse face and lying Ted. And I never liked that stuff, you know, and I was always a supporter because I do feel like he had a role as a drain the swamp kind of guy, a uh, mm-hmm. him in the nose, you know, fight back against the media kind of guy. But I never saw him as the healer that you had talked about in the past and others had talked about. But man, that interview last night really turned me around. And I'm, I'm telling you, it wasn't since 
like I said, 2012, you know, the Tea Party stuff. I was there in D.C. on Independence Day. I was there in D.C. on uh, September 12th. And, man, that was such an awesome movement. I had such high hopes. And it wasn't until last night, man, that uh, Trump Trump brought that back for me. And this morning I called my dad. And I just said, I'm on board. I said, we got to get this guy reelected. And I, I think you're right. I think he's running. I mean, watching that interview again last night, I mean, he's running. So I am excited. Yeah, I am fired up this morning. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad to hear that, Eric. Um, you know, that was my intent. I, I talked to him before we went down there, and I said, look, you know, <clears throat> Everybody is just um, talking to you, and we're relitigating the past. I don't, I don't want to talk about the past. I want to talk about the future, because I think people are looking at what's going on. Here's the really bad thing about September 11th. Eric, thanks for your call. Um, the, the bad thing about, not September 11th, um, January 6th. January 6th, they are now, the press is using this as a distraction on all of the really important problems, our schools, our corruption in our FBI, the Justice Department, the Department of Education, um, gas prices, meat prices, uh, inflation, spending out of control, all of these things that are happening, Putin, China, they all go to the back burner because they're uh, focused on uh, January 11th. Uh, sorry, January 6th. I can't get this date right. January 6th. <clears throat> because they're focused on that, do you know how many good, decent Democrats are feeling alone and feeling like, gosh, it's just me that's going through all of these things? I guess, I guess it's, I guess that's not important. That This must be the really important thing. They're really being screwed by the left and um, and by the media. And that's tragic, really tragic. But he got on last night, and I, I don't know. Um, I'd love to hear from you if you watched it last night, 888-727-BECK. At the end, my wife said, you know, that's the first time I've ever, I've ever seen an interview with him where it seemed like just two people hanging out, having a conversation. And I felt that way as well. Um, uh, it was just a different interview and very, very, very hopeful. In fact, can we play? If you wonder if he is uh, running or not, can we go to um, the um, the sot where where he is? He is saying it was at the very end. And I don't know if you you missed this, um, <clears throat> but it was at the very end where he said, um, where is it? Where he talked about, you know, making America great again. Play that, please. It's so sad, our country right now. I don't think we've ever been lower. And despite all of the witch hunts and the phony Russia, Russia, Russia impeachments, it was a beautiful time. We had the greatest economy in history. We then had the China virus come in, and then I rebuilt the economy. I really rebuilt it twice. The second time, harder than the first. But we had the greatest economy, the greatest everything. It was a glamour pit. It was a beautiful period. Mm -hmm. And now I see what's happening with energy, with inflation, with the military, with it's these awful. clowns. Uh, and I said, you know what, let's put out a book talking about how beautiful it was, because we're going to make it that way again. Mm. What does that mean, Stu? <laughs> we made America great once. We'll make America great again, hmm. again. Again. Uh, hmm. Okay. Uh, there, to me, there is no way he's... Uh, he's not running. We'll play more of the interview coming up in a little while. I was thinking about what kind of person it would take to not run. 
if you were Donald Trump right now. The nomination is his. He doesn't have to do anything to get it. He, he's dozens of points ahead of anyone else who would be mm-hmm. challenging him. Now, of course, anything can happen. You know, you never know what the future will bring. But he would have to basically, um, I, I, you know, it would be a very strong man to say, no, I don't want this nomination unless he just thinks it's just too much of a disruption to his life. He, it's his. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to even work for the nomination. It's his. So he becomes a one and two shot, and the other person is Joe Biden, probably, who is uh, terrible and is Hillary. running the country into the ground. I know you think maybe Hillary runs. I'm sure other people will run as a, yeah. as a challenge, uh, especially the way this is going with Biden. If it continues to go this poorly, he probably won't even run for re-election and they'll, they'll have to run somebody else. So, you know, uh, how could you resist it? I mean, unless you just oh, didn't I think, think it was resist- important. Oh, I think you could resist it for another reason. In the interview last night, he said, uh, you know, I really had two jobs. Try to get the country back on track and survive. Yeah. And it, it's true. I mean, he was fighting for his survival every day since, you know, the minute he came down the escalator, he was fighting for his own survival. And, and I don't think he saw that coming. I thought he would. I think he thought that, you know, he'd still get the good press, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they would be harsh on him, but not like that. And uh, it's because he's an outsider. But he was really clear. You know, we had dinner afterwards. And, um, you know, when the, when the president, former president says, what are you doing for dinner tonight? The right answer is, I don't know, McDonald's. <laughs> uh, because that's what I said. And he looked at me. He actually said, you and I. We could eat together for a very long time. <laughs> and I said, yes, we could. Anyway, um, we had dinner with the First Lady. And I think that's what wounded him deeper than anything else was the attacks on her. So unfair and so cruel uh, on her. And I think, you know, for him to go back into the arena, would you... I mean, you know what it was like, Stu, when we were at Fox and literally every day we were fighting for our life. Do you just immediately say, oh, yeah, I'd go back? No, that's, and that's why, I I, I, that's why I said I think the only decision for him is if it disrupts his personal life, right? I mean, and like you think, think of a person like Ron DeSantis who's thinking about potentially running. He's got a million things to think about. Right. It's not just whether it disrupts his personal life, but it's like, can I win? Who would I be running against? Uh, You know, uh, do I you know, how do I play this? When's the right time to announce? None of those things are factors with Trump. All he has to do is say yes. And it's his. I, you know, there's no poll that shows anyone can even come close to challenging him. So it's just really like, okay, let me make a personal decision based on myself and my family. What's the best thing and the country? What, What do I think is the best way forward? With everyone else, there's, you know, there's a, there's a million political calculations to factor in. You also, and, and the, the, the number one thing you have to factor in, if you're anyone other than Donald Trump, is, is Donald Trump going to run? Because if you're Ron DeSantis and you announce, and then two weeks later Trump announces, you are now, a, you know, you're the second fiddle on the ticket. You're, if, at best, yeah. running for vice president in most circumstances. 
Uh, there is, if I were thinking, which it would be crazy for me to think this, but if I were thinking, I'm Ron DeSantis, let's say it that way, and I'm thinking, I might run for president. There's no way, no way, until I have a hard, fast, public no from Donald Trump that he's not running. I right. mean, it'll be a, it'll be a cruise to the, uh, to the nomination. And what's, of course, makes this difficult, uh, you know, and, and Donald Trump knows the media. He's obviously uh, very, very good at understanding what gets attention in the media. He knows the second he gives a hard, fast no, a lot of his power drains away, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he'll, I think, be a kingmaker in the Republican Party for as long as he wants to be. But, like, you know, the, the media circus around Donald Trump starts going away when he says, I'm not running anymore. <laughs> Um, he, right. he is now now the focus goes to Ron DeSantis or whoever else is going to run. Correct. So he, he, there's no incentive for him not to keep it alive, even if he wasn't running. But I mean, again, everybody inside his inner circle, people who he who are in his inner circle that are advisors to him, that mm-hmm. are, you know, on his team are coming out and publicly telling the media he's ninety nine point nine percent running. Uh, so, like, if he wanted that messaging to stop, they would stop it. Yeah, he. I mean, he clearly, he's I running. think, is running, and and, and running. I think that means he's the nominee. And I think you look honestly. I'm I'm more convinced Donald Trump is the nominee of the De- of the Republican Party than I am Joe Biden is the nominee of the Democratic Party, and oh, he's the yeah, sitting president. Absolutely, yeah. Or Kamala Harris. Hmm. I have no idea who they're going to run in 2024 because those two will not. That's that's a disaster. That won't win. I have that won't win. I have no idea who they could actually run. But I will tell you that I'd be shocked if Donald Trump didn't win. And if he approaches the election like he did last night, where he was, where he's just laying out a strategy of hope and doesn't get waylaid into all of the stuff, um, I, I think he's. I think he's a shoe in because all of those people who voted for him the first time and then were convinced that something was corrupt. Now they're seeing, wait a minute, corruption, no corruption. Uh, We know what's going on here. These guys are Marxists. These guys are not helping me and my family. It's costing me a fortune because of the policies of this guy. And I think they'll get all of those people back that voted for Donald Trump and then some. And then some get those people back from 2016. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So let's go to uh, Darren, uh, Darren Beatty. He is a former professor, Duke University, former White House speechwriter, and the founder of Revolver News, the anniversary of January 6th. So let's get an update uh, from, uh, from Darren. Hi, Darren. Hey, thanks for having me again. You bet. So I wanted to talk to you because um, the press is making it uh, that there's all kinds of conspiracy theories that the right is buying into conspiracy theories about this. I don't know what the truth is. Um, I just know that there are a few things that don't make any sense. First of all, it's the worst one ever. uh, And yet nobody has been charged with sedition or anything like it. Um, And then you have players like Ray Epps. Can we play the audio here of Ray Epps? Listen to the audio. 
In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! So I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. What? So here he is um, talking clearly about going into the Capitol. He is stirring people up the night before in this last clip uh, where he was saying that you could hear them saying FBI stooge, FBI plant. Um, But he was on a most wanted list and then nothing happened. Can you tell me the story about this? Yeah, I mean, this here's uh, a remarkable uh, case, this individual, Ray Epps. And just to give a, a bit fuller uh, context for what his involvement was, he's not only ubiquitous the evening before January 6th, going to multiple different groups with multiple different agendas and really corralling them and focusing them on this new and utterly bizarre mission to go into the Capitol. And you hear a little bit about how people's reactions. What are you talking about? Fed, you're a Fed. He remained persistent. He went to every different group and he focused them on this mission to go into the Capitol. And what's important to say is that this isn't just some random drunk on the evening of January 5th that we never heard from again. He followed up on this stated mission the next day on January 6th. He's a veritable Where's Waldo. And if your listeners go to Revolver.News and read uh, the first Ray Epps report, we have tons of video evidence documenting his every move on January 6th. He's everywhere, and he's telling the crowd, after Trump's speech is over, we're all going to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. Our enemy is the Capitol. And sure enough, at 12.53 p.m., crucial to note, Trump is still speaking at this time. But at 12.53 p.m., Ray Epps is not at the Trump speech. He flew all to D.C. all the way from Arizona. He's wearing a Trump hat, but he's not at the Trump speech. What's more important to him is he's right there by the metal barricade, and he whispers into someone's ear, and two seconds later, that someone engages in the first and decisive and fateful breach of the Capitol grounds that starts the whole thing off. This is the same guy who the previous evening was telling everyone we need to go into the Capitol. Initially, as you point out, the FBI thought he was an important enough to include him as one of the 20 most wanted January 6th offenders. They said, we need to identify him. Well, then the Internet identified him and the feds, FBI, crickets until Revolver.News ran a piece basically implicating the FBI in January 6th. And the day after this came out, the feds quietly scrubbed Epps' name and his face from their public database. And since then, the only thing that any official FBI agent has said about Ray Epps is to deny all knowledge of his existence. So we have the tape. Um, can you, can you, can, are we ever going to get an answer on, on this? Is there any, any movement on this? Yes, that's an excellent question. I'm really glad that you asked that because obviously this is very important to me. It's very important to the country and we're not going to get any answer 
from A.G. Merrick Garland, who's been a mop-up boy for precisely these types of said infiltration operations going back decades. We're not going to get any answers from the sham uh, uh, exercise in political theater that is the January 6th committee. The only place we're going to get answers, I think there are two possibilities if we're going to get ultimate answers at all. One possibility, and this might sound crazy, but I've become very familiar with the way that these Fed operations work. And a lot of times, the higher-up handlers of people like Ray Epps, they think of them as pawns. And Ray Epps may have been tricked in some capacity. Maybe he was told that the reason that he was doing what he was doing was for something that turned out to be not the case. Maybe he feels like he was misled. Maybe he didn't really fully understand that he was going to be used as an instrument in an agenda to label half the country as domestic terrorists. But for whatever reason, Ray Epps or many of the other actors who are clearly feds or fed informants, they can step up, they have the power to expose their handlers and to break the case wide open. So that's one option. The second option is the defense attorneys for the defendants in January 6th cases. And on this, I'm cautiously optimistic. One uh, defense attorney for Kelly Meggs, who is a Oath Keeper defendant, has, on the basis of Revolver.News' reporting, issued a subpoena demanding the testimony from Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, who is the founder and uh, leader of the Oath Keepers Militia Group, who is also curiously uncharged. And so one of two things can happen. Either the subpoena goes through and they actually do have to testify under oath, in which case that can be extremely interesting. Or in the case of agents and informants, the government has the power to block subpoena. And if the government steps in and intervenes and somehow blocks the subpoena, that would be unfortunate. But the very act of blocking it itself indicates that there's something they really don't want us to hear, which gives us additional information as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with the defense attorneys really embracing a potential entrapment case, understanding that the fact that you had instigators who are very likely feds is exculpatory information on the part of their clients and their defendants in these cases. Darren, I can't thank you enough for all of the work that you have done at Revolver.News um, on on this subject. I don't know how it ends. I don't know who he was. Uh, but if you are looking for somebody who was the instigator uh, and had a plan, he seems to be the number one candidate. Um, you know, not people on talk radio or podcasts who are saying, hey, we've got to, <laughs> you know, fight, fight, fight. Um let me um, uh, let me ask you what we do know about him. Where does he where does he come from? What does he do? Mm-hmm. What's his history? Yeah. Well, he has an interesting background. Uh, like like many people who uh, end up becoming sort of jobbers and contractors for this type of work, he does have a military background. He's a marine. He also has a background as the president of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers Militia Group. And those familiar with Revolver.News' reporting will see that the Oath Keepers is the most heavily prosecuted, quote-unquote, boogeyman militia group associated with 1-6. And it's a whole other thread that we've investigated and reported on that 
a lot of the Oath Keepers people who are underlings who are being hit with very serious charges, they're being hit with conspiracy charges. And when you look at the charging documents, the charging documents cite the words and the actions and the behaviors of Stuart Rhodes, who's the founder and head of it, who, for whatever reason, is not only uncharged a year later, a year later, he hasn't even been subject to a proper search. The only search mm. that he's been subjected to was a single cell phone four months after January 6th. And so it just happens to be the case that Ray Epps was the president of the Arizona chapter of this very same militia group. And we have all kinds of footage of him palling around with Stuart Rhodes as well, which is an interesting, uh, an interesting connection, to say the least. There is at least really heavy smoke, whether there is a fire there uh, and he is the center of it. I don't know. But there are there are there are questions that must be answered by the government on this. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So we have Rodney Davis on with us. He's a congressman from uh, Illinois. He has just written uh, a strongly worded letter, which I've always loved when it comes to the uh, United Nations. But I don't know if he's going to get any answers on this. I hope he does. Uh, He's written a letter to Nancy Pelosi, and he's here to tell us the answers he's demanding, along with other Republicans. Congressman, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. You bet. You bet. Okay, so what are the things you're asking for in this in this letter from Nancy Pelosi? Well, number one, Glenn, you know, Republicans condemned the violence that took place a year ago. Uh, that was unanimous. But here we yep. are today, still left wondering, what did the sergeant at arms of the House, the lead, the lead law enforcement official appointed directly by the Speaker, what did he do? in preparation leading up to January 6th. There has been conflicting testimony, and all I've ever asked for as the lead Republican on the respective oversight committee is just to get the communications. We want to know what preparations were made. And the only person standing in the way of us getting the communications from her own appointee who controls the House security operations is Speaker Pelosi. Okay, so you're not asking for anything special. You you sit on the oversight committee. You are the uh, lead opposition. So you, of course, are going to ask for these things. You've just asked for uh, the the emails and the transmissions back and forth on preparations for January 6th. Now, I've talked to Donald Trump. He said that he offered uh, the National Guard to uh, Washington. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. But he said he was turned down. Nancy Pelosi, did did they turn help down? Well, that's what we don't know. And, and it's ironic, Glenn, that you've got U- U.S. citizens who no longer work for government volunteering to turn over thousands of communications, text, emails, letters, etc., to the January 6th Select Committee. But Speaker Pelosi will not even turn over the communications of her own appointee who's in charge of security on the House side of the Capitol. And he's a government employee. He was the current government employee that she appoints. will also not turn that information over to us. The question is, what is she hiding? And we could get a lot of answers based on conflicting testimony in front of the Senate investigation 
almost a, you know just under a year ago and we ought to be able to get the answers because the american people deserve to know why the security posture was so bad and and frankly glenn i, I don't think it's any better today if we were to go through another event like we did I don't think so either. Um, I mean, unless you're unless you're coming in disguised as COVID, um, Congressman. L- let me ask you: um, Are you going to be able to get any of these answers? I mean, it seems that bad people do bad things all over the country now, and nobody's ever held accountable. Um, do you? Is there any teeth that can be engaged to get the speaker to comply? Well, unfortunately, the House is a very majority-driven institution. And remember, the Capitol Police Chief cannot make a single security decision without going to Speaker Pelosi's appointed sergeant-at-arms. That's her own political appointee. You know when I'm going to get this information? It's when I'm the chairman of the House Administration Committee, when Republicans take over Congress in November Mm. of, of 2022. And I have laid out that I am serious. I want all of these communications at that time. And if they are destroyed, or they no longer exist when I get there, I will hold as chairman of the House Admin Committee anyone who's responsible for that criminally accountable. And you will be able to do that? Absolutely, I will. And I dare them to try and to try and not preserve those communications. And I dare them to test me on that. So, Congressman, explain what the end game here is. I mean, I just can't figure out, unless they really, truly believe they're going to have power till the end of time, this is all going to come out at some point. What, what is the end game here that you, you think they're playing? I, I, I wish I could get into their minds and find out what their end games are, but all they do is play political games. And, and this is where the speaker likes to deflect that she has no... She has no uh, jurisdiction over the capital security. We all know that's BS. Her own legislative counsel, general counsel, is the one that's telling the sergeant at arms that he cannot turn this information over to us. After conflicting testimony in the Senate between then sergeant at arms Paul Irving and then police chief Steve Sund, who are no longer in their jobs, the current sergeant at arms will not turn this over. Their end game is to delay and deflect. And then when we do take the majority, my goal is to make sure that we get the answers we need because my job as the lead Republican on this House Admin Committee and and as the future chairman of that committee is to make sure the security posture of the Capitol never fails again. Congressman, I was um, I talked to the president last night, did an interview with him uh, and I I gave him a list of all of the agencies that need to be cleared out from top to bottom. And it's going to take enormous courage to clean this nest of vipers out. Um, and uh, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take partners to do it as well. The, the um, people that have power, all that anyone wants, I think both Republican and Democrat, all that people want is that if you actually did something that you pay a price like i have no problem with people who broke into the capitol did damage or whatever i have no problem charging them and having them go to jail for a few months not political but because they broke other laws the same needs to go for the people in congress do you believe the republicans have the spine 
and the cleanliness, if you will, to be able to take this up against them. You know, I can't speak for anybody else in Congress except for myself, Glenn, and I can tell you that I will do everything within the power of my committee as the chair of the House Admin Committee to hold them criminally accountable, especially if they they do not abide by our preservation request. So, yes, I do believe the Republicans as a whole can hold the Democrats accountable. But I can only do what my job is. And my job on this particular committee is to make sure that the Capitol is safe. And also when we take over, I'll make sure the Capitol's open again so that people and student groups can come back and see what the Capitol and the entire complex is all about. One last question. I don't know if you have the answer to this or looked into it. We can't seem to get any information. It's, it's like Gitmo. We can't seem to get any real information from anybody about how many people um, are still being held that haven't been either charged or tried. We, we don't know the conditions that these people are, are living in who were arrested last year. Is there, is there any way to get that information? Well, when, yes, when, when we take over the House and we have Chairman Jim Jordan of the, of the Judiciary Committee, we have Chairman Jamie Comer of the Oversight Committee and me on House Administration, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ask for those officials responsible for what we've seen, even the judicial branch say, hang on a second, something's not right here at the D.C. prison facility. We're going to have to have them come in and testify. The Democrats don't want to hear from them. And, re- and remember... The only office that has been declared off limits for this January 6th select committee is Nancy Pelosi's office. When you look at um, uh, the Capitol Police, it is run by Nancy Pelosi. It is a it's it's the tool, if you will, or the police force for the House Majority Leader. I cannot think of a, a reason why our founders did it that way. Maybe, maybe they just trusted that you know people would always be on the up and up. But do you have any idea what's going on with the Capitol Police and their new approach to being an intelligence arm of uh, our government? Well, the intelligence division of the Capitol Police is one of the main divisions that failed uh, leading up to January 6th. Evidence clearly shows that they were given direct intelligence from the Norfolk FBI office that said an imminent attack on the Capitol may be forthcoming. The police chief of the Capitol Police at the time didn't even have that intelligence. I spoke with him the day after and multiple days after. And this is a problem that has yet to be fixed, in my opinion. But here's the kicker. That Capitol Police chief can't make security decisions on his own. It's got to go through the political appointee, the sergeant at arms. One uh, um, one last question: Should the uh, Capitol Police be something that could be FOIAed? Because we can't even we can't even have a Freedom of Information Act uh, that they respond to because they fall into a different category that is controlled by the Speaker of the House. I don't think that's good for the Republicans or the Democrats or Independents to ever have that. Should this police force be able to be FOIAed? Well, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Glenn, because long before January 6th, when I took over to lead Republic on the House Administration Committee, 
I introduced a bill to reform the processes that the Capitol Police follow, make them more transparent, make them more accountable. And I did not get that bill even in one committee hearing or be able to have one markup of it, be able to debate the need to open up and make the Capitol Police more transparent. And I'll do that as the chairman. Uh, Representative uh, Congressman Rodney Davis from Illinois. Um, Rodney, when you become uh, the uh, the chairman, you call me and I will do everything I can to rally the troops to make sure you can change this with the Capitol Police. I think with them being a secretive operation, it is a very, very dangerous thing to the Republic. So thank you so much for your hard work. Well, thank you, Glenn. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Rodney Davis, congressman from Illinois.